My guest on today's show is a very good friend of mine, and she has her own recovery podcast, Sober Gratitudes Podcast. Please welcome Sarah. Hi, Steve. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Well, uh, it's your turn. Welcome to my podcast, uh, Stuck in the Attic. Thank you. Um, let's talk about uh, what's going on with this. Um, how are you holding up with this uh, virus? Healthy? Yep, I'm healthy. Thank you. How are yeah. you? How are you feeling? Uh, well, uh, I'm working. I'm outside. And I'm working, which is which is nice. Today's a little rainy, but for the most part, you know, I'm staying uh, sober. That's for sure. Uh, mentally, uh, physically, I'm uh, putting on some weight because I like to get back in the gym. But other than that, you know, things are still good. good. You know, still positive. Um, okay, so I've known you since uh, probably last summer. And you are a wonderful example of recovery and what it's like. And you have a great story. And you're always positive. You're always helping others. And I'd like to well um, let my listeners in on a little bit about you and uh, where you came from, how you recovered, your strengths, and hope for the future. Um, let's start with uh, where did you grow up and, and what was it like, you know, in your household? Sure. Oh, well, thanks again, Steve, for having me. I, I it was a pleasure having you on my podcast, Sober Gratitudes, um, and it's nice we kind of started this venture together so it's like nice to have a little you know buddy to to um oh yeah to you know to talk about things and how to how to do it because i know i'm green to this whole podcasting thing so but this is such a great venue to be able to help other people by sharing our experiences and how we stay sober and um yeah i'm i'm glad to share my story i you know i grew up in um you know a, a nice town um on the east coast and you know, didn't really, I mean, we weren't, you know, super wealthy family. We were, you know, modest. We had a nice house though. And, um, I went to a great school. The school district I was in was wonderful. Um, by all accounts, everything looked fine from the outside, but there were lots of secrets going on and that, um, you know, we were a, a, a family that did our best and at, you know, navigating through life. And, um, you know, we were all very sensitive people and there was some stuff going on behind closed doors that, you know, that people didn't know about. And, you know, I didn't know any different. I just knew that this is the way that our family functioned and, and um, that, I, I wasn't really aware that other families weren't doing things exactly the same way. Um, I, I think I would pick up on some other families and I would think, Oh, they're everyone's so nice to each other and nobody's angry and fighting, but you know, who knows that, you know, I, nobody knows what's really going on behind closed doors unless you tell them outright. Um, and so I, you know, I had a lot of anxiety um, starting from a young age. I had some traumas, um, that I endured before, you know, I even reached puberty. So by the time I was, um, you know, I'll just go right into it. You know, I was hanging out with 
a group of girls who I, you know, some of them are still my very, very close friends to this day. And, you know, we started to experiment and with alcohol and some of my friends had older siblings who were of age. Around, around what age were, were you when that all started? Uh, well, you know, my, my first drunk was when I was 14. Um, I did, I think before 14, you know, I can remember those small, small little Budweiser cans, you know, those tiny, those teeny tiny ones. Um, I don't know what you call them, but one of, one of the girls that I spent time with her, house was always stocked with those so when we would go play you know we she would this girl would bring them outside you know she would sneak them outside and and I remember having a couple of sips and you know I still remember that taste of the Budweiser and and it you know I just thought I was like ooh, I was being like you know cool and whatever and but it wasn't until I was 14 and I you know I'd hit puberty I was a freshman in high school and uh, or no I'm sorry I was in eighth grade and I um, went to a girlfriend's house. We were having a slumber party, but it was really a, you know, let's all get drunk party. And it was my first drunk and I loved it. It was the best feeling in the whole world. I, one of my friends said when, cause she had already gotten drunk and um, for her first time. And she said to me, she goes, when you get drunk, just look in the mirror and you know touch your face and look at your face and like it's just so amazing and so I did that and and I actually looked in the mirror and I'm like oh I really like what I see and it I'm like this is amazing like I I fell in love with the whole feeling of being drunk um well I wasn't I I was more like severely buzzed and it just relaxed me and I it was like I just felt this warm numbing brilliant sensation going through my pumping through my veins and uh, I didn't know how to stop drinking I just kept drinking and drinking because I thought oh if I keep drinking it's going to get better and better but it you know I ended up throwing up for most most of the night and then in the morning and I woke up even though I was I had felt sick you know and, and yucky from from drinking too much I was still so excited and I couldn't wait to do it again and you know where a lot of people you know I will drink and get drunk and think oh I'm not going to do that again I don't want to get sick but for me I just was really hanging on to that feeling of you know I had nothing else you know going on in my mind like I had no feelings of anxiety I had no thoughts about you know, things that were not, you know, very comfortable in my life. Um, th- those all went away when I drank. So that's what I really hung on to. I wasn't thinking about how I got sick from it. I just was thinking about how it made me feel so good. And it was an escape from feeling so horrible um, and not really realizing how horrible I was feeling. And, you know, I was still so young. So I, I you know, thinking back, you know, it makes sense. You know, I had no other, I I didn't know other ways to take care of my anxieties. I had no other, um, I didn't have coping mechanisms. I didn't have the coping skills, um, that I have now that, that, um, are healthy and, um, just better for my body, mind and spirit. So, so I just, you know, at that moment, that after that first drunk, I decided, 
uh, that this was the best thing that came into my life and that I would spend that I, I knew at that point, I'm like, thank God I have this in my life and I'm going to, everything I did in my life from that point on, I, you know, alcohol had to be involved, you know, whether it was, you know, the friends I hung out with or boyfriends I had, um, or, uh, you know, uh, occasions that I, I, that, you know, that I was invited to, whether it be like, um, you know, weddings and, you know, sneaking alcohol at weddings or sneaking alcohol, you know, and everything that I did, I wanted alcohol to be involved in. And, and if alcohol wasn't involved, then I, I, I just remember feeling really irritated, you know, like things that I had to do as a family, like we had to go to church and we had to do church things and there was never alcohol involved in that. And, and that always just made me annoyed. Like, Oh, my parents are forcing us to do this shit. And I just don't want to be here because I don't have alcohol with me, but you know, I don't think I really understood why I was feeling so irritable. Um, I, I can look back and realize that was the case, but you know, I didn't have my best friend, my, my, my lover, my partner in crime, like my partner and everything, you know, that, that lasted for quite some time. Um, and I managed to get through life appearing like everything was fine um, for decades. Um, and I, I'm baffled now, you know, when I think about the time that I have in, um, sobriety now and I, and I, the further away I get from my last drunk, the, the further I, or the, the more I, I realize that I just, I could have died so many times and I could have been pulled over for drunk driving so many times. And I, I dodged a lot of bullets because I, I was pretty good at manipulating. I was pretty good at, you know, doing what I needed to do to get out of things. Um, I could have been kicked out of, uh, I was a camp counselor one summer and I was caught, you know, smoking weed and I think drinking too, but I think it was, I think it was weed and um, the camp counselor just liked me too much. Like he, you know, he, cause I, I knew how to tra be a charmer. I knew how to, you know, I was really good working with younger kids. So he didn't want to lose me. And so he's like, you know, if this happens again, you're out of here, but I'm going to let this slide. So, I mean, you know, if, if I was anybody else, I might've just been completely kicked out, but I, I knew how to get through life. You know, I, 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 I could not live my life without drinking. So I did everything in my power to make sure I could keep it my life. And it worked for a long time. It, it worked and, and until it didn't work anymore. So, and then that's when things really started to, you know, I really started to become an, you know, like a shell of a human being in my late thirties. I just, you know, was really uh, not, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to be alive anymore. <laughs> I just, every morning I woke up alive, I was pissed. You know, I just, you know, for two and a half decades of having drinking being, you know, the, the main, you know, crutch, the, my best friend, you know, just, it was really taking its toll on me in body, mind, and spirit. So, so that's pretty much like, you know, that 
you know, I can tell lots of war stories, you know, I could go into it and I'm sure, you know, any story I tell anybody could say, Oh yeah, I've been there. I've, yeah, I would, I peed in the corner of the fraternity house, you know, in a blackout. Um, you know, I, I stayed up drunk, you know, for nights doing, you know, in college doing papers, um, all night long drinking and writing papers and getting A's on them. And it was just, I'm like, yeah, see, that's why alcohol is the best thing for me because I can get better grades if I drink while I'm doing it. And um, so it's amazing. Like it just, it baffles me to this day that I, that I got through life and I really tricked, I tricked a lot of people. I really fooled a lot of people. I fooled myself with um, how much alcohol um, was in my life and how much I was relying on it and, and how it ended up just corrupting me and just turning my insides toxic, turning my spirit toxic. Um, and I was, I was, you know, just a very, I became a very angry, defensive, um, resentful person because I, you know, I had gone for so many years using alcohol as a means of coping and not dealing with a lot of issues in my life that, you know, like traumas of my youth and traumas that continued up through like adulthood and, and also untreated anxiety and depression, depression. I do have major depressive disorder and um, anxiety. So I do need medication for that. And I would take it you know, I would go to therapy when, you know, in my teens, like, why am I, you know, you know, this way? Why am I that way? And why are there all these problems in my life? I don't even remember why I would start going to counseling. Um, but I would always talk about like this one relationship with a family member. And, and I was just, so, and, and then I would leave and the, the therapy session and I would just go drinking, you know, cause I was just so pissed and, and then I'd be put on medication and it wouldn't work. And well, it didn't work because I was drinking, you know, you can't like medication for anxiety and depression is not, you know, the efficacy of it is, is, is not there when you're drinking alcohol. It makes so, it worse. Take yeah, the medication. Yeah. yeah. It actually yeah. makes you more depressed. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it just, it, it just, um, I, I felt like I, I was pissing away all this medication and, and the, and the money that, um, I spent, on the medication and, you know, and, and so it, it just was, you know, it didn't, it didn't work. So now that I'm, you know, sober and I'm on medication and I'm like, Oh yeah, I am. I need this. It works. It's great. <laughs> so, and, and so that, so that's basically it. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I, I drunk, drove, I, I had three kids and um, two of them are teenagers and one is tw- the youngest one is 12 and a half. And, he has autism and um, my middle son is, is more like a, is Asperger's. So I do have two, technically two special needs children and they all have anxiety. And, and that is something that is like in, inherited. We have a lot of anxiety on both sides of the family. And so I've, I've learned a lot, like in the, the program of recovery that I, that I was drawn to you know, at the end of the line um, really taught me how to, you know, understand myself and understand why I drank and, and it helped me to learn how to cope with life in a healthy way um, without drinking alcohol and um, without doing, uh, you know, acting out and get, you know, using other ways of, um, 
mistreating myself and and getting myself into harmful situations you know with uh I, I was I learned how to not do that I learned how to love myself and I learned how to um treat myself with respect and then how to and it taught me how to be a better mother and so it's just I mean so I'm kind of like giving this nutshell now like this is pretty much the nutshell of my story is that that you know getting sober even though I got sober at 39 it you know some and 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 a part of me was like wow I got so sober so late in life this really sucks but at the same time you know I'm now, now I don't think that way. I'm just so grateful I got the second chance to live a better life. And I've been able to be sober while my sons have gone through adolescence. You know, my, my oldest son was eight when I got sober. And now he, he's going to be 17 on Monday. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful that, I, that I'm, I've been sober dur- during the time that my children have you know, gone through a lot themselves, you know, the children with autism, it's, it's been a tough journey, but it's a lot easier now because I'm sober. So I'm just, I'm just so grateful every day. I'm so grateful. You know, it's, it's, it's great to hear that, that every day you have some, you know, sort of gratitude Uh, with me. It's not every day that I am, you know, uh, on a bed of roses, but I do find that every day I have the ability to be mindful of where I am in life and be grateful for that. And it's funny because our stories all start very similar. There's a lot of different variables with our childhoods, but every person that I know who's sober, um, their childhood ranges from abuse to like no abuse. I, I didn't really, for me, I kind of grew up in like a middle-class household. Wasn't really bad. Yeah. My mother argued with my dad a lot, but there was no real trauma. Even when my dad left, uh, as I said on your podcast, it was, um, it was actually a relief because there was less arguing and my dad was always available, but you know, it's, we, we work so hard. First, it starts out where it's, it's party. It's the thing to do. You're doing it with your friends. It's peer pressure. You're going through high school. You go. You get into college. You start partying a little more, and then it becomes this facade that we just craft over time. This wall. And for me, my facade wasn't my personality. It was like my looks. As long as I looked good, the pain and the suffering and the nightmare that was inside. As long as I kept that at bay or I didn't show that to too many people or to anyone at all, then I was semi okay because people thought that everything was fine because I just stayed quiet. And then that started to change, especially when I got intoxicated. And I just wasn't just alcohol for me. It was a lot of things. And it became, I built up such a a phony front that I didn't realize who I was anymore. There was no growth during that period because I was so busy um, trying to fool people into thinking I was someone else, you know, just by acting the way I acted, that my soul was starting to slowly slip away because the depression would creep in and the uncertainty of who I was inside would creep in. I definitely didn't want to tell that to anyone else. You know, if I went to a psychiatrist, that's one thing, but 
I'm not going to just tell people on the street or friends or forget about people in high school, you know, what kind of a mess I am inside and how I second guess myself and how uneasy I am. And my self-esteem really isn't what it should be. And, you know, I started doing drugs and smoking weed and drinking and doing Coke. And that was all fine because at that time it was like a little escape like you do as teenagers. But then it became not fun anymore. It became like, this is something now I, that I do that I partake in on the weekends. And even during the week, I I remember when I was 16 coming home, like hammered during the week, you know, Mm -hmm. and waking up and going to school the next day. And it's hard. It was really hard when I got sober figuring out, you know, I've been thinking this whole time I'm one way and figuring out that's not me at all. That was never me. You know, that facade that I put up, um, was was just a shell of a human being and i never really knew who i was until i got sober and i could develop my own my personality didn't change too much it definitely got more vibrant i also had a different perspective and i had a lot of respect for things i didn't have respect for and you know family and just the environment around your nature and just being genuinely good to people you know that's the thing i i noticed the most it wasn't that i was a people pleaser it was that I was comfortable in who I was and I had self-respect and I had self-esteem and I was more sure of myself so that when I did help people, it was genuine. It wasn't to get them to like me. It was because that's the way I wanted to be because that brought me some kind of peace, you know, and that was the biggest difference. It was what can I do today to make someone else feel the way I feel not to please someone else. And I can feel miserable. I didn't go out of my way when I got, after I got sober, I did before I didn't go out of my way for you. I went and did things that made you happy in the long run, but these were things that I was going to do anyway, because that's what makes me happy. And that was the biggest difference. And people respected that and could see that. And I got more respect from the same people that I didn't get respect from before I stopped drinking because it's, it's like instinctual. You know, you say, why am I going to respect this person? They don't even respect themselves, even though that you can tell that they don't respect themselves. You know, it's, it's plain as day. You don't see it about yourself. You think you're doing a wonderful job and you're a great person, but you're really just narcissistic. You're really just doing everything for yourself. And even when you try and please people, that is to make yourself feel better. Not that you already feel better and you're going to do these things anyway, because that's your personality now. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's like, it's a reversal yeah. and, and that's wonderful. It's a wonderful gift, you know? Um, so when I got sober, my whole perspective changed, you know, um, what, what was it like when you first got sober and this is pre coronavirus, let's talk about okay. now. Okay. You know, coming up to this uh, downfall of humanity, if you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you do? You know, what's your program of recovery? Uh, do you are you physically active? I know you're you're exercising now, and and that's great. And I I'm fully for that. You know, spiritually, mentally. Um, what's your what's your life like now? Oh, that's a great question. You know, my life is so different now, Steve. It's um you know, I get to wake up every morning and I'm, I'm grateful that I'm alive. Uh, And I say, thank you. 
um, to the higher power of my understanding that, you know, that got me sober, whether that be my, you know, inner, you know, my, my inner uh, authentic self or the universe or whatever it may be. It just, um, there's something much bigger than myself that, that got me to um, a place of complete and utter surrendering. And, and, and I had to let go of um, trying to control my drinking in order to get sober um, and, and, and listen to people who, who have time in the program of recovery that I work in, listen to them and take their suggestions. And that's what I did. I was just so desperate. So, so I, so today I, you know, I maintain that level of willingness that I had from the beginning of uh, the willingness of always looking at my part in things that occur and not, not making the assumption that, you know, everyone else is wrong and I'm right. That, you know, maybe, you know, that I could be wrong and let, let's think God about forbid, that. Right? Yeah, I know. Like I could never be wrong. You know, it was like, it was always like, I always would argue with everyone and, you know, and so now I've learned that, you know, what's, what's more important to, to be nice or to be right, you know, and for me, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't really have the energy anymore. To, and I don't want to put out the energy anymore on trying to fight on being right, like, fighting about like, you know, or, or arguing or talking about, you know, why I think the coronavirus is where it's at today, today, like, I can read all I want and, and be outspoken about it. But to be honest with you, like I, I'd rather, you know, I guess, you know, the years of drinking and the, the fighting, you know, my inner, the inner voices of, of, um, you know, trying to control my drinking, those, those years, you know, were exhaustive. And so now, so now I have a lot of peace in my life where I, I have so much more time to do things that are useful and, and that truly authentic. So when I want to help somebody, it's because I really want to help somebody. It's not because exactly. it's not because I want to get something from them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means. And I get it. Like, you know, I go on these Zoom calls and I'm like, oh, I look like shit today. You know, and I'm like, I better put on some makeup. You know, I'm 47 years old. Like, I, I'm so old. I look so old. I got to put, you know, the, you know, the, the, the vanity. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, oh, boy, like I, you know, I, I just for. I get caught up in that, but then I'm like, you know, let go. Like I've got to let go of this. Like nobody cares about what I look like. Um, and I shouldn't either. It's just, it's the, it's, it's most important that, you know, I show up for meetings, whether it be meetings, um, you know, where I'm physically with people or on the internet, um, I, I showing up at meetings and showing up for people, whether they be in the program of recovery that I am in or in people in the real world, like people who, the, the normies, you know, the ones that mm-hmm. there's the people that, that can drink a beer in a mat in like, uh, or half of a beer over the course of four hours, which always like completely blew my mind, you know, like how can people drink like that? You know, like those people, like I, I just want to help other people. I want to listen. I, I spend more time listening to people than I do talking. And I, um, even though I do love talking and that's why I started a podcast, I, you know, I started a podcast for a lot of different reasons, but, and one yeah. of them was so I could shut my mouth and start listening to other people's stories for a change. And, and not that I hadn't before, but, you know, I just really, I love hearing about 
other people's stories of recovery and how they transformed and how they, because they have, they have so much to teach me because I, I, I want to keep growing. So, you know, to get back to your question, Steve, about what my daily life looks like and is, you know, I, I, it, my daily life, you know, let's say before the coronavirus was, you know, being a mom, you know, being a mom to my kids, um, really being grateful for the fact that I don't have to work. And I have a couple of chronic illnesses, which, you know, one of them in particular, I, you know, if I had to work, I would probably be put on disability. Um, so it, it just, it, it works out like, you know, I have the, you know, I am so grateful that, you know, my husband, um, has a company, he's a CEO of a company, a smaller, um, business in New York city where, you know, I don't have to work. And we're both so grateful for that because we have three kids and all three of them have a lot of, you know, things that, you know, we need to support them on and I'm here and I can be at home and, and I can be very present in their lives. And, and, and that's so important for both my husband and I, and, and it's not as I was a terrible mother before I got drunk. Like I really, you know, I loved my kids more than I loved myself. Uh, and I want, and I really lived for them, but you know, it, towards the end, it was really bad. And I was, you know, a passed out while my youngest son was just sitting there, you know, you know, watching, you know, baby Einstein and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately it was only a short, uh, um, part of my, um, his life, um, where I was that bad that I would be passed out during those situations. And, and fortunately nothing bad happened while that was going on. But, um, so today I just, I really, I always focus on what, how I could be useful to somebody else today. And, um, you know, today, yesterday you called me and asked if I, I could, you know, be in your podcast of, yes, absolutely. You know, like I, I have the time now more than ever, you know, like I, I want to be of service to others because I feel like that that's what my higher power has always intended for me. And I feel so much better when I'm, when I'm helping others and when I'm focusing on other people. Right. Um, it, it, it's amazing. It how that works. so amazing because it gets me out of, out of self. You know, Especially like, if you're in a bad mood, if you help someone else, it's like instant, instant gratitude, instant happiness, instant peace. Yes, yeah. it is. And, you know, Steve, I have to, I have to, just because it's a recent example, but, um, and it goes to show just like that I am not, I am never going to be perfect. And I accept that I used to be a perfectionist and I still am, but I, I'm more accepting of the fact that I'm a perfectionist and I'm, I'm able to kind of use my perfectionism better. Um, and I let go of things that aren't perfect and uh, I wouldn't have been able to do my podcast if I was still the kind of perfectionist I was before I got sober. I just would have given up and been like self-pity. Oh, I suck at this or whatever. Um, and like, there's all these other people that are doing it. Why should I do it? And, um, so, so in terms of like a recent example of, of how I've changed, but I've also, you know, I know how to handle situations and kind of respond to situations in a, in, a, in a healthier way, you know, like a week into, you know, whatever lockdown of this coronavirus, I, I was really struggling with having my youngest son and his distance learning because he has autism and he goes to a, a special private school because his, with his autism, he has severe language-based learning disorders and he's 12 and a half and his mind works like a three-year-old 
and in terms of learning and and cognition and when he goes to this special school he you know he's there all day long like he's there the majority of the day and now and so I know that he's being given the best kind of education for what he needs so a week into this distance learning and him being on the laptop talking to his teacher me seeing him struggling was so painful like it was really 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 hard for me and and you know I I'm still a very deeply sensitive person you know like my I wear my heart on my sleeve and um I don't fall apart and get dramatic anymore but you know I did get to a place where you know, after a week of hearing him struggling every morning, and I, ju- I, I just, I couldn't, I, I, ju- I went into a place of, I did this to him, like, I, if I hadn't been an alcoholic for two and a half decades, then he wouldn't have been autistic, and, which is so silly, because my first son is not autistic, you know, he's, you know, a normie, if you would say, you know, he does have anxiety, but um, he's, like, you know, relatively typical kid, and, and my, um, and, and to go into a place of self-pity, you know, like, oh, I, it, like, I got into this place of me, 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 like, this is my fault, oh my gosh, you know, like, I, this is, like, my punishment for all the years of drinking, and, you know, it, it, you know, I was so triggered when I was watching my son struggle, and thank God my husband, you know, and I were able, like, I, I he, my husband and I went into my, into our room, and we had a talk, and my, my husband was able to, comfort me and like help me to bring bring me to a place of rationality and 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 we wouldn't have been able to do that had we our you know our marriage had been, had been repaired through my eight years in the program of recovery that I'm in you know we were on the brink of divorce when I went into the program I'm in and now like our relationship is so good so good that he can like save me from getting so sucked into myself like he you know, cause the program recovery that I'm working is kind of seeps into every, like all the walls and the air of our household. And, and even the dog is like, you know, <laughs> it seems like that he, that she gets like, you know, knows this program recovery. It just, it's just, it's designed for living. So, so I, I mean, the point is, is that, no, I'm not perfect. I, yes, I do fall into old patterns, but I know how to get out of those patterns. And I, and I, and if I can't, I have, you know, my husband who can support me um, in ways that he never could before, because it's just, this is the way our, our family life is. This is how we operate in our household. And, um, and so, yes, I, 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 it, I also will go out for a, a long walk and I'm doing that so much more now because I have so, there's so much more time and their life has slowed down so much during this um, pandemic that, you know, I'm bored with like, you know, going to a Netflix show and, and binging on that. And I, I'm like, I'd rather, I'm like, I'm walking in the rain now. I walk like six or seven miles. I'm seeing my mom who was around the corner for God's sakes, you know, and I, and, but she was, always, she works and she was always so busy too. And so it's just really interesting, you know, like how to see how life is so different. Um, I know I'm jumping ahead um, to current day, but, you know, generally speaking. Yeah. So, so it's, um, I, I just, I make better choices for myself today. And if I can't, if I, if I, if I falter, then I, I know how to kind of think about, okay, what is this? Why am I feeling this way? Okay. Like I can, I can go back to my program of recovery. I can call my, my network of, of people who know me and know where I, um, 
you know, like what they say, character defects. I don't necessarily like that phrase, but things that I like struggle with and still as a human and, and for God's sakes, like I was, I was, I drank for two and a half decades and now it's only been eight years that I've, you know, almost eight years that I've been working this, this program I'm in and becoming a better person, becoming a person that I like, you know, you know, I I have to cut myself a break, you know, I I, I can't be so proud of myself. Yeah. So I don't know if that answer, I always end up being long winded. (laughs) It's okay. It's a, it's a podcast. (laughs) It's, it's funny because you do end up becoming whole again. You're not whole when you're drinking. And by whole, I mean mind, body, and spirit. You are always missing one, and the other one is probably, and the other two are probably uh, very unhealthy. Um, so there's basically no spirit, spirituality when you're, you know, drinking and drugging, and because you're 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 knowingly a lot of times, most people know when there's an issue. You know, even I know. Uh, you're supposed to recognize a problem. I knew there was a problem way before I got sober. I, I knew there was a problem. I didn't care anymore. That was really my problem was I didn't care. And when I got sober, I brought in those three sides, you know, the spirituality, uh, the mental and the physical aspect of my life all have to um, be healthier. I had to make every all those three, I had to make each one of them better in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. you know, and I found that the physical one was very, very um, not just drinking and not drugging the physical aspect of keeping some kind of exercise to release some kind of endorphins in my life to keep me even on a happier you know, level than if I was just sitting around. Yeah. OK, I'm sitting around. I have more time to get in my head. I'm not going to be praying all day long. That's for sure. I'm going to be watching TV and things like that. But for the physical side, I would, uh, and I still do, um, even during the quarantine, try and do at least some kind of exercise to keep that physical part of my body going. And that's the blood flowing to all muscles that I'm working on, endorphins being released, uh, stress levels going down. It's very important for people I think during this quarantine, I'm no, I'm no doctor, but I can tell you right now from my experience, I think it's very important that we kind of stay active and even doing a podcast, you're releasing a lot of thoughts that help other people. And I think that also probably really good aspects of the brain, you know, Oh yeah. Uh, you're not sitting home on your ass. You're sitting home thinking of ways that you can put a message out there to help people, not just you know, I don't just have people that are recovered listening to this podcast. I'm going to be doing a podcast soon with someone uh, who was a survivor of domestic abuse, mm. um, you know, physically and emotionally um, that doesn't have their normie, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that people have these so many self-help, if you want, pot, you know, podcasts and the page on Instagram, you know, your page, Sober Gratitudes podcast and my page. Um, sober life 78 uh, it's important that they have all these avenues to go down which people didn't have years ago you know now you have instagram you have the facebook you have twitter you have podcasts you can always get help you can always go on and get help it's just the hardest part is 
you have to, in order to get help from, for me anyway, in order for me to go on and get help in any shape or form, whether it's calling someone, reading someone, uh, reading something, reading someone, reading something, um, or listening to a podcast, you know, it involves the, the part of you that says, I need to, I need help. I want to listen to this, which isn't always easy. It's like picking up the phone. It's so heavy. You know, you don't like, I don't want to listen to anything. that's going to help me because I don't really want help right now. It's still recognizing that there's, there's something you can do to improve yourself. You know, I'd rather sit down and watch Netflix um, than read uh, something on recovery or call someone in my program or go on and uh, listen to a, a podcast that can really, really help me. But you know what? Uh, during this quarantine, I feel more complacent by just binge watching Netflix, you know? And um, like you had said, you know, I'm, I'm finding that I'm, I'm hearing about normies that are drinking more than normal. Mm-hmm. And I was approached by one and they said, how you doing? I was worried about you. I said, pretty good. Thanks for asking. You know, how you doing? I'm drinking a little bit more than uh, normal. And I said, well, in a way, it's almost like a given during these times. And I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm going to hear of a lot of people and probably see a lot more people coming in the rooms when uh, all said and done. A lot more people are probably going to start drinking and become, you know, the alcoholic that was probably just sitting there inside their brain waiting for this to happen, waiting for this moment where, yes, I'm just going to I can drown myself in a bottle now, you know, and it's I think there's going to be a lot of people recognizing changing their perspective on life and recognizing what's good and bad and just being sick of the bad. Hopefully this I'm thinking this is a done for a reason that God, believe it or not, has done something, whether it's put out there on purpose or whether it's just the natural way of things, you know, because the virus is is part of life. You know, viruses come Mm -hmm. and go. This one just happened to be a real real asshole yeah. if you will and is spreading like wildfire yeah you know and people don't realize that viruses are part of nature they're part of this magical world that we live in that's so beautiful but you know what nature will bite you in the ass sometimes and this is part of it so you you gotta you gotta take into account that it may not be anyone's fault you know it may be how we handle it may may be crappy but it's all part of life right we have to deal with this just like we have to do. We have to deal with quarantining just like we had to deal with our shitty addiction Mm -hmm. and the way we felt and the way we treated people. And and most of all, the way we treated ourselves, this is all part of it. And once you look at it like that, you say, you know what, if I can get through this, it'll just be something else that I overcame just another bump in the road. And that's why I'm optimistic. People are like, why are you so optimistic? Mm. I'm like, well, what else do you want me to be? You want me to be sad and depressed for what? What's that going to do when all is said and done? I'm still going to be sad and depressed. You think it's just going to go off like a light switch? I can turn off the, you know, it's now it's because you know what? That's, that is the, the mistaken way I went through life before that is, that is relying on something other than myself to make me happy. And if the world around me, maybe going to shit for a very short period of time, hopefully that doesn't mean that I get to go to shit. Right. You know, 
right? I love. I wouldn't want to do that. I love your optimism, Steve, because you know it, to put hope out there is you know to send those vibes out into the universe. I think is is a much better way of for me for, for this alcoholic to to live life to send out those kind of vibes. And you know, you spoke to something that that you know really um, made me start thinking about you know what I was like before I stopped drinking and what what I was like after. I stopped drinking and you, you talked about, you know, like how this, this pandemic might, let's say, bring people to their bottoms much faster uh, because they have the time or unfortunately it might kill some people. Um, People might just completely drink themselves to death. Um, And you and I both know that that is a reality and it's a, it's a very sad reality. And, um, and, you know, one thing that I can remember doing all the time was watching the show Intervention when I was mm-hmm. when I was closer to the end of my drinking career. And I would and I would be very intentional. I would be very purposeful watching it. And the reason why I watched it is because I needed to see other people who were way more off their rockers than me. And, and I, I had to watch it so I can say, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a problem drinker. Look at all of these fuck. Look, about, can I say, uh, I don't know if I can swear. Look at all these fuck ups on, you know, on the show intervention, like they're really, really drunk. And I remember seeing this one episode on a, with a woman yeah. who around my age with kids and she, drank like wine was my um you know the last you know 15 years of my drinking career is like pinot grigio i drank that so much of that i, know I well. drank uh-huh. so much of that and so this woman drank so heavily and i looked at her i'm like she oh she's lost her family she's living with a boyfriend because her husband kicked her out of the house i'm like i'm not there oh my gosh look at my life i'm holding it together and and i would like look at them like poor things you know like it's too bad they can't drink like me you know more controlled but that was my way that you're watching it thank you yeah that. uh, that's what i was thinking as yeah. i watched it and i did it as a way to make my to to you know to justify my drinking and how much i was drinking and i and i know that's a very normal thing for people to do because i was i was so scared that i had a problem that i would seek out things like that show intervention to make myself feel better that no, I, I'm not that bad. No, I'm not killing my internal organs. No, like, like I had to find, but now Steve, now I can't even watch intervention because I identify, I identify so much yep. that I feel so sorry for these people. And I cry like it's too, emo- it's too, I get too emotional watching. I feel so horrible for these people on intervention. And then, and sometimes I, if I do watch it, I'll fast forward to the very end. I'll be like, please, please sh- show that they've stayed sober for a long time. And, and I'll yeah. get to the end. And sometimes I say this person relapsed or they died. And I'm like, yep. Oh my God, no, I can't watch this show anymore. And, but it, ke- it keeps me sober. Like to watch that show. And it keeps me sober because it, I'm like, you know, I don't want to go back to that place where I felt like those people felt, where I was trapped. And it wasn't, it didn't matter that they, like, 
they, yeah, some of these, like that woman on that one episode, she was kicked out of the house, but the feelings were the same. She hated herself. I hated myself. She had self-loathing. I had self-loathing. She was angry, yelling at everyone. I got angry. I yelled at everyone. I, I couldn't sleep. I would throw up. The, the, everything was the same. And I just couldn't see. I just, I just wanted so badly to be able to drink normally because I couldn't imagine living life without alcohol. And then at the very end, it was like, I can't imagine living with or without it. Like, wh- how am I going to do this? And I was terrified. And, um, and, and, and I'm so grateful that I was able to get to that place of complete and un- utter, utter desperation that I, I, I just had no energy. I was just so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And I'm like, you know, now I look back, I'm like, you know what? I had my fill. And sometimes those people will ask me, they'll say, oh, just you want a drink? I'm like even though it doesn't really happen that much because I don't really hang out with people anymore that drink and the people that I hang out with and spend time with know that I don't drink anymore. So they don't ask me to drink. But like, if somebody does say, Oh, would you like a a cocktail? I'm like, Oh no. Are you sure? I'm like, no, I've, I've had plenty of those. I've had my fill. So I'll just stick with water, you know? And I might say something like that. I don't, I don't have to say, Oh, I'm an alcoholic. You know, like I don't have to say that. Like it's um, not that I'm ashamed, but you know, it just, I truly feel that way that I, I have had my fill of alcohol and now I get the second chance to, to be a person that I feel proud of. Like I am proud. And if I, and if I go through the day and I do something that I'm not proud of, I've learned how I can instantly turn that around and ask, apologize, ask for forgiveness. So, you know what? I didn't show up that um, in the way that I really wanted to. I, sh- I showed up um, for you um, in a way that I that I didn't I didn't feel good about, and I, I just need to say I'm sorry. And and I I feel so good that I can do that because then I go to bed at night, and I can think about the day, and I can go through. Okay, I, I liked how that that went. I really am so glad that the, this went this. Way. I'm so grateful that this happened and that happened. And you know what? Oh, that oops, that that shitty exchange occurred. But yay, I was able to say. I'm sorry that I fucked up. That was my, that was my bad. I should have been more this. I should have been more that. And, and, and it's such a, it's such freedom, Steve, right? It's such freedom to be able to. It is. You know how many people just can't say sorry. They will not take responsibility and are never held accountable for the shitty acts that they do. And you know what? It's karma because it always comes back. But there's got to be something underlying that makes people do that. Oh yeah. Well, for me, the, the reason why I never wanted to apologize is because I felt I was right all the time. I always felt like that. I, I knew better than everyone that even like I had the, 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 ter- that terrible, like the, the, um, that, that inflated ego and severely low self-esteem, you know? So, so I had to compensate by, you know, acting as if I, I knew better than everyone else and get really pissed off if people, you know, people said something uh, about anything that offended me. And I automatically assumed that they were, they were pinpointing it at me, that it was like directed at me. And like life, it's not, not life isn't all about me, you know, like, like it's insecurity. Yeah. It's like very insecure. And I know a lot of people like that. 
And that goes away when you get sober. It you know? does, Steve. I mean, it, it really. It, not all the way. Yeah, but it can. Right. And then and then you stay in the and you stay working on your sobriety. Like you, it's not just about keeping the drink down, right? It's about really working on self. Working on yourself. Work. The drink is just like a hair of the problem. Right. That, I mean, that was the solution to my problems. So, you know, drinking yeah. was the way to solve all these problems that I had. And um, and it was a symptom of all the all the problems I had. So, you know, once that, once that I, I was relieved of that obsession to drink, I had so much space left to really work on myself and be, become a, a person that I'm more proud of. And also know that I, and like get to the end of the day and know that, okay, you know, that I lived a good day today and tomorrow's going to be another day that I can just keep getting better. You know, that I like that, that, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be perfect and, and that's okay. And, um, and, 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 it's, and it's, it's such an easier way of living when, when I can just let go of all of my will and control. Exactly. And, you know, you were, you were touching on the um, watching that show intervention. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, I thought I was completely nuts. I was, let's be honest, but when I heard someone speak, I had that aha moment. I sat there after this person finished up their story. And I said to myself, this guy's fucking nuts. I can get sober. If he can get sober, I can get sober because I, at that point thought I was the, the, you know, that's the thing we always think we're so important, you know, even when it comes to, Oh, I did worse than that. You know, that's that, that's that not comparing. That's like that one upping that got us in trouble in the first place, you know? And it's like, Oh my God, I didn't do that. Once I realized that there was people out there doing stuff that I, I didn't even do. You went way past me. Mm. I'm like, Holy cow. Now I get it. Now I see that anyone is capable of overcoming anything. That's when my mind changed to be more optimistic about life, because if he can do it or if she can do it and I can do it and these stories that you hear, maybe they're not made up for morale purposes. You know, like there's some hidden society of morale boosters that walk around and tell people how bad their life was. No, maybe they're really being honest. Their life is a dream today compared to what it was. It might be normal for some people. You know, and 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 it might not be normal for the way that I thought before. That might have been like, you know, how would all these people have homes and families? And how how is this person walking around with a smile that seems genuine, not just like fake, like I would put on, like, you know, grinning my teeth almost like there was nothing behind that smile. You know, it was just like for for cameras, basically. And whenever I. Uh, would talk to someone, I was overly nice to them because I was afraid that they'd figure me mm. out. It wasn't like, oh, I can just be me because I'm not really that bad of a person. I'm no day at the beach, but I'm my own person and I'm comfortable in my own skin. That wasn't like that before. I over, over, I always overcompensated. And that's that people pleasing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that. That's really, that's, it's really self-centered. And, and I know people are like, I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, you got to stop doing that mm. because it makes you feel like crap and you do it to not feel like crap. 
And people don't respect people that are people pleasers because they know it's like it's instinctual. I know when someone's doing something to please me so that they feel better about how their life is. And it's like, I'm going to respect you because that's the way I am. But I can tell you don't respect yourself and you're going to have a hard time in life. You got to you got to back off the people pleasing and do something for yourself, because then when people see that you have respect for yourself and you walk away from bad situations and you do things out of kindness of your own heart, they respect you twice as much. And it's it's amazing. It's it's really like a paradox almost. But well, we have uh, come to the end of the show. It is 56 minutes and counting a wonderful episode. I am so happy you came on and um, perhaps we'll, we'll get together again on one of our our podcasts. Um, I'd like to, to get a group of people in a room and I have a bunch of microphones and, and see if I can get like maybe a group podcast going like I had before Christmas, but right now that's impossible. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but doing, you know, doing it this way is, is just as good, you know, phoning in. And I want to tell you that you have been a wonderful guest. Your positivity is what I enjoy about you the most. Ah, thanks, Steve. And during these times, we have to stay, we have to stay in a, a, in almost like a state of, I know it's, it's a hard time to be. And I see a lot of people with the road rage and everything, but you got to be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. We got to reach out to each other and be optimistic Mm -hmm. and not everyone's going to do that. And that's fine. I'll do it for you. As as long as, as long as when everything's said and done, people can get back to their lives and are healthy. Right. That that's, you know, some people said I can't work because I can't get out there and work because uh, underlying conditions and, and uh, somebody on Twitter and, and I'm over a certain age and, I said, don't worry, stay home. The people that are healthy, like myself, that are very, very low risk, we'll go out there and work. This is what it's like to come together as a community. We're almost at war with a virus that that chooses who it infects and how it infects. So that's fine. I'll go out there and work. I don't care. I love it. I'd rather do that than be cooped up anyway. And if I can pull my own weight and a little extra, fine. Yeah. Because it'll come back to me tenfold. I know this because I have faith. Yep. And it's temporary. Knowing that it's temporary, like, and who, lo- we don't know, like, how, how long temporary means, but certainly not, like, for the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I can't imagine. But you know what? What the, the gift of, of the program of recovery I work in is yeah. that I don't have to think about tomorrow. I can, no. I can think about just today and, and doing what I can do today to live the best life possible. Um, because I was given that opportunity when my life was saved eight years ago. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to go out and and live a life that was worth saving today. And, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that on your podcast today. Your, your podcast was awesome. And I'm so glad that you, you're getting it up in to season two now, is it? Yeah, it's season two. You know what? That's what happens when you wait too long to record another episode <laughs> for season one. You got to come out with something fresh, yeah. keep people on their toes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I will see you uh, on the gram yep. and I'll talk to you soon and uh, have a blessed day and God bless your family and hope everyone stays safe and healthy. Same likewise, Steve. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Yeah. Okay.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stuck in the Attic podcast. Please stay tuned for more episodes.